Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Health Majority. We're on number 27. I'm your host, Manu Meal. And today's guest is going to be social media influencer, a member of the so-called fabled Gen Z, Noel Fitchett. Um, and the question that we're going to be talking and responding to today is, what does Gen Z think about religion? Now, of course, Noel, myself, we're just members of our generation. We don't represent the entire generation. And yet, this is a fascinating conversation about religion, about how young people approach religion, whether or not religion is declining as our generations grow older, and also how strongly does religion correlate to politics? So a lot of stuff there. And usually for all the new people that are joining, we have a monologue, and then we go into the conversation with our guest. And yet today, I think the conversation is so dynamic and interesting that I want you to jump right into it. Remember, every Monday, weekly. We're building the hopeful majority. We're on Spotify, Apple, YouTube. The purpose of the show, the reason why we're here is because we're trying to create a world in which nuanced conversations happen, where we understand each other, where we're more likely to productively disagree as opposed to flipping over the table. Because let's face it, we're at this moment in society where we are terribly divided. And importantly, it's not just that we're divided, but that we don't know how to navigate our differences. And this conversation with Noel is one in which we go in so many different directions. And in fact, the other piece of this conversation, which is interesting, is that we learn about a store in your background and the dirty industry that is social media influencing. We also learn about the role that special interests play. We talk about the role that profit plays in dividing us. So there's a lot here. But the central theme of this conversation is how do young people and how does somebody like Noel approach religion? as a social media and Gen Z activist and influencer and somebody that has a lot of different beliefs. And finally, one of the key things that I think is very important in today's world and today's society is how do we balance having convictions with curiosity? Because we're often at this moment where people say, well, hey, if you have conversations with people that are different than you, that must mean that you don't actually believe certain things. How do we balance strong beliefs with strong curiosity? And that's something that we settle this conversation on. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'll catch you afterwards. Let's cue in to Noel Fitchett. Cue the music. Noel, welcome to the Hopeful Majority. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate you being here. In fact, I appreciate you so much because just as we were warming up for this conversation, you compared me to, to Lex Friedman. And uh, I didn't I didn't have to pay you for that. So I appreciate <laughs> the comparison. Yes, it's a genuine compliment. Every time I see the episodes you do, definitely Gen Z Lex Friedman, which I love and we need more of. So no, I, I appreciate you. And, and you know, as, as everybody knows, as they listen to the conversation, the platform is relatively small right now. But as we keep building it, I appreciate people like you donating your time because you're somebody that understands social media and these things way better than I do. And, and, and as I was thinking about like, you know, who do we want to have a conversation with on this week? I was like, let's bring on a fellow Gen Z young person that understands social media, but also understands our generation and our politics. So I appreciate you coming on really quickly. Where are you signing in from right now? Where are you at? So right now I'm from uh, College Station, Texas, originally from L.A., but yeah. calling in from Texas. Okay, so you're calling in from Texas. Your car broke in midday today, um, and so there's a lot that you're dealing with. And I was thinking, well, how do we jump into this conversation? Because there's so many different ways we can take this. And so, in fact, I, I went to Instagram today, and I looked up your byline. And what it says is, helping Gen Z navigate politics for the glory of Christ. And there's a lot there. 
Uh, and I want to get to the Christ piece of it and the religion piece of it. But even before that, like, how did you find your way into the world of social media, of being an influencer, of putting forward your beliefs and your ideas? Like, why take this step? And, and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, it's funny because whenever anyone asks me that, I genuinely never know how, how to answer it because it was on accident. Um, okay. I think a lot of us were bored during the pandemic and we just had a lot of free time and I had a lot of free time and I went down the rabbit hole. I was pre-med for the longest time. So I had zero free time, always in the lab. Always you were pre-med? I was pre-med for three years. <laughs> I, I came into college also pre-med. My mom is incredibly disappointed. Like same. I think my mom is too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, what are these guys up to? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Total 180 from medicine and science. But I honestly, I, it's funny that you were also pre-med because I was just telling my dad earlier that some of the most interesting conversations that I have about politics are people with a science background. It just happens mm -hmm. to be the case. Um, and I really love that. Yeah, all of us are just like just much more objective and rational. So 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 you you start off pre-med and then and then what happened? And so um, during the pandemic, I because I, I was a double major, so I did philosophy and pre-med, loved uh, just asking questions and learning from other people. And yeah. I started to realize that my views were shifting. I didn't really agree with a lot of the rhetoric that was going on. And more so, I read Thomas Sowell's Discrimination and Disparities that kind of rocked my world and made me change my views. Um, and so and, and for those that for those that don't know, who is Thomas Sowell? Thomas Sowell, he is a black a libertarian economist. Um, he went to Harvard yeah. and he's just one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest minds. Um, he's He calls himself a conservatarian, but he's uh, testified before Congress, written lots of books. He's a fellow at the Hoover Institute. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and how did you come across his work um, in particular? Were you just like one day you were like, who are all the libertarians in the world? And I want to read about them. Like what what I'm so curious, especially these days, like how people come about what they believe in and their worldview. So how did you come across that? Yeah, so my mom was a pretty raging leftist feminist growing up. And okay. then she became a Christian. And so she started to vote and kind of align her values with her faith. And so she heard of PragerU. PragerU had a Larry Elder video. And then Larry Elder talked about Thomas Sowell. So that's kind of how I found him. Gotcha. So your mom, you described in your own words as a raging leftist. How, what would you describe yourself as? Oh, uh, myself. I would cons I would describe myself as a conservatarian. A conservatarian. Um, yeah, I, I think and I'm like a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, totally. I, I, yeah, I think that's probably the best term, the mixed match term that I stole from Thomas Sowell, of course. But that's probably the best way. And what what is a conservatarian? So for me, I believe in limited government, um, but I also hold very dear a lot of values that. Are connected to my faith so everything that i believe um even my libertarian values i believe are deeply connected to my faith and stem from my faith so that's kind of why i call myself conservatarian it's kind of a vague answer but interesting so the reason why i actually asked that noah was because i think you describe your mom as as a raging leftist you came into college as a pre-med student you found out about thomas well actually in some way through your mom you came out with a different worldview than your mom. Um, and now you're 
taking the step to actually put your view out there. And part of the reason why I'm always curious about these stories is because when you see somebody like a Noel Fitchett putting out a video and you don't know anything about Noel, we start to make judgments about people, right? And I think one of the best ways to get behind some of the judgments that we make is to actually understand who people are. And so if we just like lingered on this for a little bit more, I'm curious why why do you think it is that your views are different than somebody like your mom's? Um, what, how did that, how did that come out to be? Because some people, when they have a certain parent believing certain things, they actually are similar to them and other people rebel and go totally the other direction. How did you end up where you are today in relation to your mother? So my mom's views now she's more conservative than I am. Yeah. So she changed, but um, I think her hearing her perspective and hearing her upbringing, definitely influenced me. Yeah. I was raised never, I was never raised Republican. I was never raised even conservative. I was just raised. These are, this is what the Bible says. This is what our faith says. And we're just going to honor God. We're going to practice our values in the public sector by voting according to those values. So that's kind of how my parents grew and kind of taught us growing up but my parents actually voted for two different people during the primary oh interesting so um they ended up after voting for the same person in the in the general election but in the primaries they voted for two different people so it's civil discourse has always been something that's encouraged in my house which I'm, i'm thankful for um because in my external family that wasn't that wasn't really accepted once they realized I changed my views. My external family is more left-leaning. So it's a little bit difficult and contentious, but overall it's been good. The the It's interesting because Thanksgiving just happened and there's a lot of discourse right now about families and politics and the dreadful conversation with your uncle. Like, Are there particular things that your parents did or your family did that helped create that environment of productive civil discourse? Do you feel like there were steps that you think other people can learn from? I think with my immediate family, my Mm -hmm. dad was someone, is someone who really defies a lot of the stereotypes that I think people put on um, to people from, he's from Compton, he was born in South Central, single parent raised by his mom, Um, my dad's bicultural, and so he was just kind of, everyone around him kind of believed the same thing, and then he heard about Ronald Reagan, and he liked Ronald Reagan, Um, And so my dad always included that in our conversations of it's okay to think different. It's okay to think different than what people may assume about you. And so, and he always played Mm. devil's advocate, which was nice because I never really knew where he stood a lot because he was always questioning what we believed and asking us, why do you believe that? And he still does that. And I'm very thankful that he does that. You know, one of the challenges I've had recently is I found as somebody that plays devil's advocate a lot. Sometimes I'm like left there thinking like, what what do I actually believe? Uh, Because all I'm doing is questioning other people's thoughts. Like, what would your advice be to somebody like me where you want to balance curiosity and constant questioning with also having convictions? Like, how do you do that for yourself? Because um, I've, I've studied your social media profile a decent amount just before this. I was looking through a lot of your posts and you are somebody that has real convictions and has a certain set of beliefs. It's pretty obvious. Like you just look at your first three pinned posts and yet at the same time you espouse a level of curiosity, how you balance having convictions with curiosity. I think that's something that I've wrestled with over the years because I am curious and I think sometimes in the past that's led me to almost compromise. I won't say completely compromise, but almost compromise. And I think that certain things are okay to hear 
hearing a different perspective is not compromise. And that's what I try to tell my more conservative leaning friends is that listening to someone and even finding similarities doesn't mean you're compromising. There's certain hills that I won't die on, but there's a lot that I can find compromise on. And I think learning that balance has been a challenge, but very rewarding in realizing that. Do you think, why do you think that attitude doesn't seem to be more prevalent in the mainstream media today? Mm. That's really, you know, I think it's really interesting because I, I don't want to be cynical, but sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like I, don't worry, I you're on the hopeful majority. So we will <laughs> hold you in your, in all your cynicism. I don't want to be cynical because I, I appreciate independent journalists very yeah. much so. Cause I think that they are a little bit more, optimistic than uh um, be cynical be, be be as be as <laughs> cynical as you'd like to be i just i think that the mainstream media you know even influencers profit off of being divisive and mm. off of misrepresenting the other side and um and i've even fallen prey to that i remember when i was first making tiktoks in 2020 um and my friends say i didn't but i I don't know, I hold myself to a different standard now, but I just feel like it's very tempting to, as a creator or as a news anchor, to say the most clickbait headline in hopes of getting views, of hopes of getting follows, but then you cause more division. And I feel like that's the primary reason why people do that, um, that I see most often. Yeah, I mean, even right now, I, I already know the certain set of questions to ask you that I know will be more clickbaity. Like, there's there's a I can literally tell you right now, I have a section of my brain that's like, ask questions about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Those will get clicks and they're realable. But nobody cares about your nuanced upbringing because why would anybody want to know why you believe what you believe? Because that's just too hard to comprehend. Um, and it's a sad state. I guess, okay, I want to I close the loop, though, on... on you as a person before we sort of go to some of your beliefs and your arguments, especially around religion. But why did you take the leap to like actually put the stuff out there? Cause you said COVID you were bored, but there is a certain sense of vulnerability. So how did you overcome that vulnerability and why make the leap into the, to the death pit that is social media? I genuinely didn't know that it was going to turn into what it did. Um, because I posted a TikTok. I had maybe a few hundred followers, if that. Okay. Um, and I didn't go about that TikTok the way that I would have now. But uh, I was after reading and seeing a few videos by Thomas Sowell, and I just felt like I was lied to um, by people around me mm -hmm. and, and things that I'd heard. And so I made a video on TikTok basically voicing that frustration. Um, and it, it was found by some people in my community. And what I and this is kind of a faith thing, but I believe that what people mean for evil, God uses for good. And I think in that situation, God did, um, because they doxed me. So my phone number, cell phone address, everything was put online, but that ended up reaching people who agreed with me and it ended up turning into what it is now. And so I think what started off as just conviction of being upset and wanting people to know the truth that I discovered and new, a new side of information that I had discovered, um, that turned into just a deep desire for me to want to share information that I feel wasn't being talked about. So what about reading Thomas Sowell gave you that feeling of like deep feeling of betrayal or resentment? Because what you just said there, Noel, of like I read something and suddenly I felt like everything that I'd been told I was being lied to. 
Like that feeling, I think, describes so many people right now in the United States, whether you're on the right or the left, this feeling that what you've been expected or told about your country, about your beliefs, about your community is a complete lie. Can you explain that feeling? Yeah, I think it was just on social media, especially during 2020, I was only seeing one side of of an argument. And so to even know that there was someone to who had the accolades that Thomas Sowell does in the background. I mean, he defies every stereotype um, that people would kind of put him in. And so that that feeling was just, why isn't he talked about? Why isn't his perspective amplified? Um, because he speaks about so many of the issues that were really hot button topics in 2020. And so I think it was that feeling of just asking why why his voice wasn't amplified and often silenced and made fun of. Um, that was a big turning point for me. And what was the answer to that to that question? Be as cynical as you'd like. <laughs> um, I think I think it's a few reasons. Back then, I probably would have said that people on the left just don't want him to speak because he defies what they say a black person is supposed to think or how someone who went to Harvard is supposed to think or someone who comes from a, a city like Harlem or Compton. Um, I think I would have said that then, but now I kind of, I feel like that is a part of the issue, but I also feel that people just aren't doing their due diligence to search for other voices as well. Yeah. Um, because Thomas Sowell is someone that I had to seek out and thankfully Larry Elder referenced him. But um, I think it's important that we do. We each have a responsibility to do our due diligence to go and seek out other voices. I'm so curious about your evolution in in the answer to that question. Why? Because you said that back then I would have answered it in the sense of the left probably just doesn't care about him, does, wants to silence him. So screw Thomas Sowell. And now your your assumption is that, but a little bit more about how maybe people are just not as informed or just not interested in doing their due diligence. Can you explain that transformation? Because I think right now when you ask somebody that's extreme on the right or extreme on the left, their immediate knee-jerk response is your original belief, which is they assume the worst intentions about the other side. Why did you have that evolution in belief? I think after working with people and continuing to make friends who are on the left or even identify as communist even, who are very opposite of me and hearing their reasons why, um, even though I strongly disagree, I kind of came to the conclusion that they, they do, they mean well, even though I believe that their ideas may be harmful. Um, I do believe that most people mean well. And so I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I feel like oftentimes in politics, we don't give the other side the benefit of the doubt. That's kind of why I go back to, I think it's a lot of us, we need to seek out other information. What's your response to somebody that hears that and says that you're very naive? I would just, I I, that I have been told after I've kind of changed my views, um, even working on the right, I have been told that. And I think, I think it's, it, you know, I think it's being optimistic. That's what I kind of tell people. I, I choose to believe the best um, until other people give me a reason not to. And so if they give me a reason not to, then I can start being skeptical. But for the mo majority, I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt because, um, when I do that, I, I often see that 
we I'm able to have a conversation with that person and that it was more just a lack of them not knowing. You know, my response to to the naive piece, because it's really interesting, you say that being optimistic and that you choose to give people the chance to be better. I mean, not only do you just feel happier as a person operating from that standpoint, but who am I to think that I have the hubris and the intellectual know-how to think that everybody else is inherently evil that doesn't share my worldview? Like, it just seems so oddly uh, intellectually bankrupt. And I think we live at this moment where people incentivize those hot click moral certitudes over a sense of curiosity. There was this, um, forgive me, but I'm just going on a little bit of a tangent, but there's a story that I recently heard of where um, they talk about John F. Kennedy and they asked... I was actually speaking to one of his relatives recently and they had brought up this story where, you know, JFK is in the Bay of Pigs invasion. After that, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis and he's in the midst of all of this conflict and the Soviet Union is is driving in, you know, ships and they've got nuclear missiles staged in Cuba and he's got 11 advisors. And in that Cuban Missile Crisis, there's a period of those seven days. And in those seven days, the first four of those days, Noel, all of the advisors who are military advisors are talking about how we have to attack, we have to invade, we've got to, you know, act in a certain way. And JFK ultimately kept asking questions and kept asking mm -hmm. questions. And ultimately, he decided on an alternative path, which probably historically turned out to be the right path. And so 10 years later, somebody asked after he'd been assassinated, what was his favorite quality or characteristic? And people assume that the answer would be courage. And yet the answer was actually curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think to your point, there's like a certain sense of going out on a limb and saying, you know what, I'm going to be curious because I actually think that that's the brave and right thing to do. But as I'm sure you've seen on your posts, that's not the socially, culturally interesting or exciting thing to do. Frankly, it sounds like dried kale. So like, how do you sell that shit to, to our generation? <laughs> um, how do no, you sell I curiosity to Gen Z? I agree. I think that I, you know, but I, I feel like I've seen a shift in Gen Z since 2020. Okay. I think what's the shift? I think it's a shift just towards people are tired of demonizing each other, in my opinion, at least what I've seen on TikTok. I really feel like more balanced. I, I hope that's the right word. Balanced mm. voices. I think um, his name's Link. I really like his account. Um, he's a new TikToker. A few months ago, he started posting. And he, yeah. he's just blown up. Um, a few other people come to mind, too. And what does I he post about? He posts about politics more from a news perspective. Okay. But in my opinion, I think a lot of his takes are very balanced. And he doesn't play into any partisan labels. Um, and I think he's really fair, in my opinion. Yeah. But I really enjoy his stuff. And I think that people are searching for for thoughtful responses rather than reactionary responses. So I just think people are tired and maybe that's me being too optimistic, but I think that I've seen that a lot with Gen Z recently. That people are searching for more thoughtful responses. I mean, you also see that I think in the, in the increase in like long form content, like the reason why you see people like Lex Friedman, Joe Rogan, I mean, you're seeing content like this where there seems to be a lot of traction because I think people are sick and tired of that, like clickbait junk food, uh, garbage that that only feeds like your your frontal cortex and and uh, gets you that sugar high initially but i'm curious like as you've started producing this content um what has been the most challenging piece 
of that? Because one of the things you've reflected on is that you often have this temptation to feed into that impulse of what is divisive to get traction. How do you balance that? And what is what has this journey been like? I think so. I, I mean, it's no secret that some content creators will get offered to post something in exchange for a payment or commission and things like mm. that. And so a lot of the times um, those commissions are very high and the topics are always clickbaity topics. And um, for me, I've said no to probably 99% of them this year. Um, and I've only started doing them this year. But I think that for me, I, I was Wait, talking can you to my break that down a little bit more? What yeah. what are these commissions like for the people that don't know the business that you're talking about? Like people want to know what the behind the scenes look like. Like could you could you yeah. explain a little bit? Yeah. So every your favorite content creator, even if they say that nothing is sponsored, something that's how they make their money. Whether it be views, there's some kind of money involved, and so there'll be these uh, campaigns. Sometimes it's a political campaign. Sometimes it's someone running for office. Sometimes it's a movie or it's an um or it's just a topic like right now, Israel and Palestine is a big mm. topic right now. So people will get paid to do a video about a certain topic. They don't tell you what to say, which is nice. So whatever, most of the time, what you're hearing from your favorite person is their own thoughts, but they do get paid to push a certain perspective or share a certain headline. Um, and so that's, that goes on behind the scenes a lot. Okay. Huh? So, it's almost as if there's special interests in social media, just like there are in politics. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. How do you, do you think that's a good thing? Like what's, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Cause I mean, you got to make your bread some way. And yet I also am like a technological Luddite and I'm like, I just don't think one should get paid to make videos, <laughs> but yet here I am. And so <laughs> What's what's what? What do you make of this? Like, I don't exactly know what to make of it. I think it for me because each campaign is different and each organization is different. Yeah. So for me, I will only partner with an organization that gives me the explicit rights to say whatever I want. Um, so I don't have to follow a script. Whereas some, okay. you have to follow a script. And so, I personally. Um, if I see someone, cause I can, ca most of the time I want to believe I can notice when someone's following a script, my trust in them kind of just shoots down it drops. Yeah. Um, because I want to, I want to, I want to know that you're speaking because you're passionate about something because you've done the research because you have mm. something you need to say, not because someone is paying you just to say what they want to say, but they don't have the platform. I feel like it's almost abusing your platform. Um, but I think that there's plenty of ways to make revenue as a creator. And I think that there's a way to balance which campaigns you choose to do, which ones you don't. But I never want to abuse my community, if that makes sense. Or just work a real job. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, okay, so so let's let's now let's now hard pivot. There's no easy transition here. And so I'm just gonna be honest, I don't have an easy transition, but I wanna go to the second part of your byline, which is, you know navigating politics and i've got i got my phone right here actually i don't want to make sure i get it right navigate politics for the glory of christ um can you talk a little bit about the role that faith plays in your life 
Um, yeah, so the second part in my bio is really important to me because my political views started shifting the same time my religious beliefs started shifting. Um, and so for me, they've never been separate. They've always been hand in hand. And a big reason why I even decided to speak on politics is because so many of my political beliefs are rooted in my faith. And so that's a really big part. And so that's why I put it in my bio, because I want people to know that that ultimately I, I don't want to I don't want to bring glory to the GOP like I don't worship the GOP. <laughs> and I, I think that sometimes people conflate conservatism and the GOP with Christianity. And I don't really like that. I think that's antithetical mm. to Christianity. And so I just I make that distinction um, to just introduce people to that the page because that's the first thing they're going to see. So yeah, it, it's interesting you say that people conflate Christianity with the GOP. Why do you think there seems to be this growing trend where religion and religiosity more positively correlates with your politics? Because it does seem, at least when you look at the mainstream, that if you're a Republican, you're more likely to be religious, and if you're a Democrat, you're less likely to be religious. I think there's a few reasons. Um, I mean, in complete honesty, I don't believe that, at least for Christianity, I can't speak for other religions, but for Christianity, um, there's certain views in regard to gender, abortion, social issues that someone who is following the Bible wouldn't necessarily be able to endorse on a more Democrat or left-wing um perspective or vote for a certain candidate if they're following their biblical beliefs. Um, okay. So I think that that's why there's a big divide. But at the same time, uh, too often, I see people who are on the Republican side jump to say, well, if you're voting Democrat, then you're not a Christian. I don't think that's fair to say either, because um, I think that there's plenty of reasons why people can vote Democrat or vote left wing. Um, might be economical reasons. It might be other reasons, not mm. specifically because they're trying to disobey what their faith says. And there's a lot of nuance in that. But um, but yeah, I think that that's really an important distinction to make. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people on the left oftentimes use religions as a cudgel saying that if you're religious, you must believe in certain oppressive practices. Or as you said, a lot of people on the right will use religion as a cudgel and say, if you're you know, on the on the left, you're somebody that, you know, you're like the Antichrist or like the second coming of Satan. And and I'm curious why you think our politics seem to be getting to this point where those types of takes are what are incentivized and driven. I mean, you talked a little bit about profit, but specifically in the context of religion, like I'm talking even at the con congregational level, like when you go to a church, do you see politics in front of you or do you think that people are generally able to overcome it in terms of like the pastor or the speaker in terms of the pastor in terms of the in terms of the divides out there like do you feel like church is is, is an escape from mm. the broader political cultural things that are going on things around you know things like gay marriage things like lgbtq rights etc or do you feel like those rifts are pretty clear and and they're they're even uh, relevant when you're practicing faith? I think it depends on where people go. Okay. Um, I think, you know, my church, um, and obviously I'm biased because it's my church, but I think my pastor um, does a really good job of talking about issues when they relate to the text that we're in. Okay. So if we're in, in the text and it happens to talk about an issue that is going on in culture, which happens quite a bit, 
Um, but, you know, he's not afraid to talk about that and say, well, as Christians, this is what the Bible says. This is what we believe. Moving on. Um, mm. Whereas I think on the opposite end, moving from L.A. to the South, um, I've seen some churches where I feel like I'm at a at, um, and this is even in California, unfortunately, but I've been at churches where I feel like I'm at a Trump rally rather than a church. And I don't mm. think that that's good at all. Um, I think that that is just distracting. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah, I, 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 I even have some friends that organize churches around Trump. You know, uh, we know some large scale youth organizations on the right that do a lot of that. And I think, I mean, it happens on the left, too, in a lot of those institutions. So in prep for this conversation, I was looking at, you know, like, what is Gen Z's level of religiosity? And what I found was that it's approximately, I think, 35 to 40% of Gen Z are unaffiliated to any religion, which is the highest in, in any generation. Yeah. Why do you think that is? And I'm sure you get asked this a lot. But do you think that that number can actually be changed? Or is there this inevitability of history that is time continues to move on, people just are getting less and less religious. Oh, I think, I think it's a mix of a lot of things. I also was reading about that stat and I read um, that before, I think it was Pew Research that said uh, most of Gen Z attended church, but yet they're <laughs> the least religious. Um, and I, I think that there's a few reasons. I think, um, I think over time, society and culture has played a role in that. But I also think that it falls back on the church as well of maybe not addressing issues the way that they should have mm -hmm. with compassion, speaking, not compromising, but being more compassionate. Um, I sometimes I'll talk to older generations and we'll talk about certain issues that for me, I grew up in. So they're not taboo to me, but to an older generation, um, they're just very, it just seems like the end of the world to them when we talk about a certain mm. issue. And so I think that that also plays a role in them not knowing how to navigate just the changing culture. Um, but I think that Gen Z, I don't think that, it, that it's an end-all be-all of faith. I think that a lot of Gen Z is searching for God. I think specifically, I've seen so many, I mean, obviously everyone's TikTok algorithm is is different, but I've seen so many people just talk about their struggle with depression. I mean, Gen Z is twice as likely than other generations to struggle with mental health. And I think that they're searching for something deeper and something deeper um, that's beyond them. And I think that a lot of them are finding that in Jesus specifically. So, Do you think religion can help with the mental health crisis? I do. And I, I say that because, and there's a lot of nuance in that, um, a lot of different views in that, but I, from personal experience, I mean, Definitely. Um, I think that God has just given me so much peace that surpasses all understanding. And that doesn't mean that I don't struggle. Um, and my sure. other friends who struggle with mental health too, but knowing that my future is in the creator of the universe brings me so much peace. Um, and so mm. I think that it definitely does help. It brings you peace. You know, so I, I grew up religious my grandfather uh when i was ages of one to five i lived in india with my grandparents and they were quite religious i came back to the u.s and i grew up pretty religious and then i went to college and I became less religious and I, I think naturally i think oftentimes when people end up in college like things boomerang away and you like become a little ad adrift and do your thing and i did a lot of interesting things while while in college uh to put it slightly and 
as I came out and we were building BridgeUSA and growing, one of the things that I've come about in the last six or seven months is that I'm somebody that requires a deep sense of purpose to do something. And I felt like I've like hit the bottom of my purpose well. And the only way to dig it deeper is to find purpose in some other way. And, and maybe that's God, like this higher sense to sort of deepen my reservoir of motivation, ambition, purpose. Is that something that you feel that religion does for you is that it gives you this unending sense that you exist for some cause or reason bigger than yourself? Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, my faith specifically in Jesus, I grew up in a different, um, I guess, theological belief or type of Christianity than I believe now and I follow. And Which one do you believe now? Just, just so that folks know. So I'm, I'm, reformed okay. um which is kind of a complicated term for some people okay. but um but i'm i grew up more of the um mega church uh kind of what we see on tv of like the more concert church i was a worship leader that's what i grew up in and now i'm reformed which is kind of the opposite or slightly opposite of that so not knowing anything or the internal politics of what you're talking about it <laughs> it, it sounds like it sounds like you're being held hostage right now as you describe <laughs> being reformed and 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 i can kind of imply and understand what you're talking about but um uh when i think about and hear your religious journey i can't help but ask the question uh why and how do you think more young people could maybe look to religion as a way to resolving some of those mental health challenges. I had on Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a GOP presidential candidate, and one of the things that he often talks about is a sense of purposelessness and a, and a void. And his belief is that when you don't have religion or something filling that void, darker forces fill in. And he goes, mm -hmm. I think, in my opinion, a little bit uh, contrarian and says that you have more ideologies filling that void. Um, so do you think that there's a certain sense of truth to that? And, and how do you think young people can maybe look at religion as something that they normally don't think of as a way to, you know, resolve some of those mental health challenges? I, I definitely think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, even from a biblical sense, we, I believe in what the Bible teaches is that you serve, you either serve God or you serve the world. Um, and I think that that's something that I've even seen in politics where, you know, sometimes people will say, well, don't include your faith in politics or don't include it in anything that you do. Kind of keep it to yourself. But we all have a system of beliefs. And whether mm. you're an atheist, whether you're a different religion, everyone has a system of beliefs and includes it in the way that they live. And so uh, for me, Christianity, Jesus, my faith, um, it does. It, it overflows in everything. And, and it is it is what keeps me grounded in my views, it's what keeps me grounded in, in both my moral convictions and my political convictions, because I want to align most closely with what I believe and what I know to be the creator of the universe who defines what is good and what is creation. And he knows what is best because he's good. And so I'm going to trust that. And so that's what kind of keeps me what well, is what mm. keeps me grounded. So one of the things that I like to do during these conversations is try to put myself in the shoes of somebody that might be disagreeing with what you're saying. And oftentimes it leaves me in this like weird intellectual mush. But what I can hear somebody saying right now is, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, Noel. And yet, uh, let's say somebody that might be a member of the LGBTQ community, I find religion as something that 
offers more persecution rather than refuge from, you know, things like mental health challenges. What is your response to somebody that sees religion as fundamentally oppressive to their identity? Hmm. Hmm. I actually had a conversation with one of my friends recently about that specific topic. Um, and, and I can say this on the podcast because I got permission from him, but uh, one of my roommates, um, he's gay and I'm very much so Christian. And so we would have very deep talks almost every night about mm. Christianity and about LGBT, about the LGBT community. And so I think that it, I think if someone were to tell me that, I would probably ask them why they felt that way and what experiences have kind of led them to feel that way. Because I think that some people have been hurt and um and their pain is is valid and i would want to know where they're coming from hmm. have you ever had an experience with religion where you felt like it let you down absolutely i think um i wouldn't say religion because when i think religion i think jesus god and sure. god has never let me down um, I think people have and people mm. within that religion definitely have. And I mean, the Bible says for all fallen short of the glory of God. And even Christians fail daily um, because we're sinful and we're depraved. And so I think refocusing me, my attention and, and my mind to knowing that, OK, people are going to fail me. God is not going to. Um, and I fail every single day. So I would want that same grace extended to me. So it, so, yes. People have failed me, but God hasn't. Hmm. People have failed you, but God hasn't. Uh, when you think about people failing you, do you have a certain sense of resentment towards those people? Like, how do you, what's your, what's your way in which you think about people that have failed you or wronged you in life? And I ask that question because I feel like right now in this moment that feels incredibly divided uh, almost everybody I talk to feels aggrieved in some way from somebody. I've yet to find somebody that says, I'm feeling great. And so how how do you respond to or think about people that you think have wronged you or failed you or that you fundamentally disagree with? I think people that I fundamentally disagree with, I think it's a little bit, it doesn't really bother me to be completely yeah. honest. Um, but I think that's just over time that's changed, but people who have wronged me, um, I think that growing up my, I was severely bullied all of like all of middle school, high school, everything. And so I say that because I think that that prepared me for later on in life. And in terms, I mean, right when you asked that question, I thought about being doxxed and the people who gave me death mm -hmm. threats. Um, and that was hard. I mean, I remember people were deleting their social media when that happened to them because it felt like the whole world was against you, um, on social media because we couldn't interact with the world. So the internet was our world. And when that happened, I, I remember telling one of my friends about it and she just really encouraged me not to lash back. And that was very, very hard. Um, but I'm very thankful that I, I didn't. And because I personally have been forgiven so much 
And that is truly what keeps me from holding any resentment towards anyone who has doxed me or has wronged me because God has forgiven me. And so why am I going to hold anything against anyone um, when I've sinned so much greater? So that's kind of my mentality in that. I think that's super powerful. I mean, I think I think people underestimate how difficult it is to arrive at a moment like that, especially when you talk about death threats and doxing and you think about, you know, especially younger people, our entire world is social media and you have that entire world turn against you. It's not easy to just say, well, I'm going to forgive and move on. What about that experience? And when you think about, you know, developing your voice and continuing to build your voice, uh, how do you have the courage or, or I guess curiosity to continue to push forward? And what's your advice to somebody that's trying to develop their voice and is facing a lot of resistance, a lot of pressure? How do you think about that? I think I think I would just encourage them to I one of the things that was told to me as a kid, I think my mom told me, but um, I had the kind of the tendency to compare myself or look and see what other people are thinking and what other people are saying. And so she kind of put this image in my mind of the horses with like blinders when they're mm, walking yeah, and they're on a goal. Yeah. And so she was like, in life, just have focus on God and have those blinders um, and just try to honor God in everything you do. And there's, there's nothing that you can do wrong in that sense. And so I would encourage someone, especially if they're a Christian, to just focus on honoring God. Because at the end of the day, what I believe is I'm going to stand before a God who's going to ask me, what did you do to glorify me? And if I say, well, I was more concerned about this person, mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's a very good answer. And so <laughs> <laughs> there's something about the image of standing in front of God and saying, you know, the reason why I let you down was because I just could not get rid of uh, handle X230. Uh, this this stranger might not even be a real person, you know, constantly coming after me. Um, not to make light of that serious point, but what is if I if I had the if you were sitting down with somebody that had doxed you or that had put you down or has radically different beliefs than you, what do you think? people that disagree with you most misunderstand about you? Mm. I think that, I mean, this happened recently in one of my classes. Um, one of the, one of my classmates just happened to look at my social media and um, ended up saying some pretty horrible things about me to everyone in my grad school. I hadn't even had a conversation with her at this point. And um, she actually came around and apologized to me just out of the blue um, because we had a conversation about her religious trauma and I just listened to her and she really appreciated that. And so she ended up apologizing and she told me in her words that she thought that I was just someone who used religion um, against marginalized groups. And that's when we had a conversation that me disagreeing or sharing a different perspective is is just as valid as you sharing your perspective. Um, and so we ended up having several good conversations about that. But I think that that just empathy went a long way in that situation and other situations as well. I've had many people just apologize to me randomly. Yeah, demonstrating that empathy. I mean, you talked about that earlier when I asked you, like, 
you know, what's your response to somebody that thinks that religion persecutes them or oppresses them? And I think to your point, like, and to your credit, you have to ask those questions because that's the only way we move forward and asking and underscoring the why. Um, the last sort of piece that's on my mind is like, as you talk about being a younger person, developing your voice, as you talk about the story of religion, you talk about how you came to believe what you believe. The conversation has really been interesting because it, I think it shows people how you formed and and come to where you are today. Now, when you look ahead and you look to tomorrow and you look forward, like what is your perspective on where the country is headed? And how do you see yourself playing a role in the future of the country? Like what do you see as yourself and what do you think is the role that you can play in continuing to advance this experiment? I'm just curious how you think about that. That's a big question. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's the stressful question. The translation of that question is, what do you want to do next? <laughs> um, I think. But I'm just curious. Yeah, what do you what do you see as your role? I think for me specifically, because that I think that's been a question that I've asked myself a lot, uh, especially when it comes to social media, and I think that so many people do a great job of changing people's minds um and just showing things that may not be seen i think for me um specifically is i i want to be able to help people my age who who are christians who are trying to figure out how do i fit in to mm. this this role to this situation how am i even supposed to vote am i even supposed to say anything how do i respond to this um, and from a purely, I try to be as balanced as I can, but um, balanced Christian perspective, because I think I see a lot of people who are liberal or who are Democrats who happen to be Christian or Republicans who happen to be Christian. And that's great. They're, that's their space. Um, and they try to change people to their political worldview. For me, sometimes, most of the time, I find myself disagreeing with people on both sides. And I just want to encourage other people like that, that they mm -hmm. can still interact with politics, interact with culture. And it's okay if they don't fully agree with one side or the other as a Christian. Um, and they can still share their values and stand firm in their convictions. Yeah, that they, there's nuance in what they think. And I think it's so important you know, trying to divorce belief in religion from politics. Like if you, it, it's so weird. Like right now we live in this moment where you see somebody's violent. They say Jesus Christ and something you just assume they're a Republican. And, you know, you see like, you know, certain types of flags in somebody's bi biography and you assume they're liberal. And it's like the divorce of identity from politics, I think is especially important today because otherwise it becomes so existential. Um, how do you think, that will play out in 2024 and and how do you think people in our generation are approaching politics and what's to come hmm. it's interesting because i always see different things about gen z when it comes to the election coming up um and their perspective on it and it's really interesting because i feel like especially on tiktok people are kind of at a loss they don't really like any of the candidates um, and I think that that is really showing. I, I wrote um, a piece for Independent Women's Forum about how I felt like the GOP candidates kind of failed Gen Z in their first debate. They didn't kind of, they did fail Gen Z in their first debate. Um, and 
I think that um, I think that young people. I what I hope for is that Gen Z will be challenged to seek alternatives. Um, I think we've kind of been shoved into this two party system, and um, and kind of forced to just accept whatever we're given. When I think we should demand more. I think that America can produce better. I think there is better thinkers, um, and so I hope that Gen Z plays a role in that. Yeah, one of the people that I had a conversation on in a recent podcast episode was with Andrew Yang, and he's out there trying to create a third party. And I think there's a lot of initiative around creating more choice. And whether or not somebody agrees with the need for less parties, more parties, whatever the content, I think everybody's behind you on this notion that our politics just need to deliver. And I think everybody can definitely agree with the fact that our debates are not a masterclass in intellectual exchange. Um, the theater and the puppet strings are, are I think, pretty obvious. Uh, the last question I have for you, Noel, and this is a question I ask everybody, no matter who they are, where they come from, and it's a question of why. It's about purpose. Uh, and you touched on this briefly, but the reason why I ask this question always is because I think part of trying to have hope and optimism is having an answer to why you're doing what you're doing. I think it gives you a certain sense of putting one step ahead of the other. So what is your why? My why goes back to my faith is the gospel. Um the fact that I believe that humanity fell and sinned against God. He was good and he was just and kind and loving. And, um, and God, God died on the cross for our sins for whoever believes in him. And so I, I, that is my why my God, the gospel is my why that hope, that peace and knowing that, that no matter what happens, all of the corrupt politicians, all of the injustice, all of the pain, the wars that I see, knowing that there is a good God who cares, knowing that there is a good God who does want justice, who does encourage us to seek justice, um, gives me purpose and gives me a hope to share that and to advocate for what is good, um, but also rest and sleep at night knowing that he's still in control, even though there's chaos going on. So that is my why. Well, Noel, thank you so much for joining the Hopeful Majority. And I think that I mean, I'll be honest, you know, the reason why I, I, I'm so curious about your why is because it's definitely a different why than a lot of young people articulate. And and I think it's important for folks to hear a new perspective that historically has been pretty relevant, which is one of religion, yet it seems on the decline. And I'm curious about exploring that. And you've enlightened us on a lot of different avenues. I'm not even sure what to exactly title this episode or this conversation <laughs> because we went all over the place, but I think it was interesting. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Manu. I really appreciate all you're doing. And I genuinely hope that you run for president one day. I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast, but genuinely I hope you do. That was a paid sponsorship. That was actually <laughs> a behind the scenes puppet string situation. <laughs> It's actually because it's actually because I'd, I'd actually fixed Noelle's car today while I was on the highway stranded. And uh, and I, I'd, I'd asked her to say that specifically at the end. So thank you so much. And, <laughs> and it means a lot to me. And uh, I hope my mom hears that. But appreciate you coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Noelle for joining the conversation. I hope that you enjoy the conversation every Monday, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Remember, we're fighting outrage, building nuance, because we believe in a world in which you and I, Get the chance to actually hear each other, talk to each other, listen to each other. Doesn't that sound like an amazing world? Well, we need to build this together. Leave a like if you're on YouTube. Subscribe, review on, U on Apple, Spotify. We're trying to build this hopeful majority together because I think that most people are like you and I. 
We want to live in a world in which we hear each other, see each other, and importantly, build a world in which we productively disagree. I'll see you next week.